And about that time, I heard some calling coming from behind me, and I knew immediately it was not a turkey. The rhythm was horrible, and the sound was a little off. So we had trespassers. So I told Keith, I said, stay put. I can get out of here without being seen. I'm going to go run them off or go catch them. One of them comes up here killing. Don't worry about me. The trespasser or the turkey? The turkey. The turkey. (laughs) Let's clarify that. (laughs) Yeah, I'll clear that up. Take his kneecaps out. I don't like trespassers, trust me, but I'm not going to shoot one of them. (laughs) Keith killed a guy. (laughs) This segment of DOD TV is brought to you by Leopold, American to the core. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Drury Outdoors 100% Wild Podcast. We are officially not your favorite outdoor podcast. That's right. Powered by DeerCast, your Tim Chelsvick. You are the birthday boy, Matt Drury. Woo-woo. 41 years young. Yeah, old enough Look to not you. even remember my age. <laughs> <laughs> this morning, I uh, had to stop by and, and get some gas on the way to work. Uh-huh. And my first birthday present of the day was our great president giving me a $115 bill <laughs> to fill up my tank. Uh, <laughs> it's like, oh, that hurts. It's the, it's the most I've ever had to fill up the tank. So, what? Does your gas station, do they also sell Effordent? <laughs> no, not that I know of. Okay. Just wondering. You start to worry about these things. Old man you, joke. Yeah. <laughs> From an old man. What the hell are you saying? You're older than I am. Well, maybe an age. <laughs> yeah. Well, somebody on uh, Instagram sent me a instant message this morning and said something about, I'm catching old man junior. They put old man and then <laughs> yes. junior. I'm catching up to Terry. I, I got a long way to go. You're his Jedi. <laughs> That's like right. Patty Wan. Yeah. Well, we've got Hall of Famer Chris Parrish on. We're still talking turkeys. This week has been all about turkeys. Matt yeah. Van Sice earlier in the week, and now we got Chris Parrish. That's right. So, and I don't know how up to date this is, but we did this for for Matt. I want to do it for Chris here. So here's some of the accomplishments before we we jump on with him. Eleven Grand National Championships, ten World Championships, three U.S. Open Championships, four Mid-America Open Championships, one North American Open Championship, 10 Missouri State Championships. This guy's a champion. And a partridge in a pear tree. (laughs) All right. Without further ado. What's up, man? Hey, how you guys doing this morning? We're good. Did we miss any of the accolades there? No, that's fine. Good enough. (laughs) Handsome. Oh, shit. Archer. The most important. (laughs) I know so one of the ideas is old. <laughs> <laughs> one of the probably the, the biggest feathers in the cap, you've been with Night and Hail for a long time, right? Isn't, isn't that kind of the, the cherry on top? You got some audio problems. We got some audio problems? Mm. Oh, there it went. Yeah, you're good. I, so what I was saying was I, one of the cherries on top, I would think, would be your tenure, your longtime tenure there at Night and Hail. Is that, I mean, is that kind of the dream job, so to speak? Yeah, I mean, it was a really fun ride. You know, I, I was with them, I guess, overall for around 25 years, you know, until everything was dissolved with Pradco. Um, and it was it was phenomenal. You get the chance to hunt with Harold and David mm. and spend that time at the cabin and traveling around with them. I spent a lot of hours in a truck with Harold. He sleeps a lot, but uh, <laughs> sounds like Terry. Just, just great times, you know, and, and, and I, I wouldn't take anything in the world for it. You know, those guys are just golden. I think everybody, everybody in the industry, they look up to those guys as kind mm-hmm. of being the pioneers and, and, and how they treated people as well. Just great people. Certainly. And so these days you're with bear archery, correct? Correct. 
Yep. So, so you've got kind of gone from iconic brand to another iconic brand, right? Yeah. Yeah. I guess that's what old people do, right? <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, we, we were talking Turkey this week, like we said, we had Matt being size on earlier and, and, you know, when we list out, you know, all the championships that, that held between the two of you guys, it's just incredible to think, you know, how competitive you guys have been for so long. What to you, to you and in, in your mind, what's the key to being able to stay competitive year mm -hmm. after year after year when some of these young guys coming up are just ridiculous callers. They're so talented. Well, I think a lot of it is work ethic. You know, it's like anything else in this world. If you want something bad enough, you go after it and you, you stay on top of your game. And, and that's what I did. I always, I probably took a lot more time away from the family than I should have, hmm. but I would go to my office, uh, you know, the shop and uh, you'd been there, Matt, you know, yep. and I'd go there and I would spend hours uh, recording and then listening to hens and then recording myself and trying to match, you know, you're not going to sound like every hen, but there's particular turkeys that you, you sound like and you kind of you build up to that. And I remember the day that I kind of really hit it on the head, even though I had won several beforehand. And I I brought my I brought the video recording home and I plugged it into the TV and I I, I took my wife and I, I made her turn her back and I played the live hen and then I played myself and she goes, that's the same person. Mm or the same turkey. And I'm like, no, it's not. I said, it's me calling and the hen calling. I said, I think I've got it figured out. And I think that's what these young guys, they, they have a, they have a bonus compared to what myself, Mark, Matt even had um, coming up through the ranks because there wasn't YouTube. There wasn't mm -hmm. all these live recordings of hens. And if you wanted something, you'd had to research or go out and do it yourself. And you had to work harder to get there. Where now, not that they're not working hard, but they're just more readily available. And, and, you know, and I, I figured when I got to 2013 and I had won what I won and I'd accomplished what I accomplished and uh, kind of a funny story, I was at the world championships. I still placed in it. Um, I had placed in the top three or four at the grand. I had won the Mid-America again, I guess. I, I Several things. And I ended up winning a world team championship that day. But I remember as I was up there, a guy called for the next call and I was getting ready to switch calls. And I kind of went, what did he just say? So my mind wasn't in the game anymore. Oh, no. And when you start getting into the point where your mind's not in the game and you're starting to like think about things that you're not focused on, like I was thinking about family, I was thinking about going home, thinking about work that needed to be done. You know, it's time to kind of go, you know what? I've had a good ride. You know, I'll dabble a little bit. I'll still do some team calling here and there. I'll still have some fun with the guys. And I'm always gonna go back and visit people at the contests. It's just, it's a great time. It's a family, but you know, you, you realize that you, you run your, you run, you run your course and you're done. These young guys coming up, um, they've just, I don't know as I would call it taking it to the next level because I think all of us are capable of doing whatever we need to do, but, uh, they're young, their minds are young and sharp and their work ethic is good. And they're going to have some longevity. Chris, you look at Matt, he's not giving up. He keeps yeah. hanging in there. And he's, he's done a wonderful job. Yeah. Chris, I'm I'm curious when when you did that calling comparison for your wife, how much did she swoon when she realized that that was my husband? <laughs> that you're one that. with the turkey now. <laughs> I wouldn't I wouldn't go so far as she swooned over that. Um, she thought it was good, but you know the thing about it is, is Kathleen's hunted with me for years, you know, and she never hunted a day in her life, so she got to listen and hear a lot. Of course, she went to all the contests and everything, and mm -hmm. she got to be she had a really good ear. 
and and uh, not everybody has an ear for things. It's no different than music. Turkey sounds is no different than a guitar or a piano. I mean, you get an ear for it, and guys that get an ear for it, they can be in the woods, and it takes a special caller to fool their ear, and uh, mm. that's what you're trying to do. You're trying to fool the judge's ear and hope that he has the ability to know what kind of picture you're painting and what kind of music you're playing. Now, coming full circle, Tim mentioned at the top there that you were recently inducted into the NWTF, the Hall of Fame. I mean, is that to come full circle like that? We joked, you know, off camera about it. But I mean, that's got to be pretty special to you. I mean, that's a that's a hell of an accomplishment. Yeah, it is. It's, it's the pinnacle, really. I mean, you know, when you look back, holding that Grand National Trophy over your head and finally accomplishing and, you know, beating guys like the likes of Mark and Walter Parrott and those guys, that was that was fantastic. That's a little feather in your cap. But to, to go full circle and to be at the end of the rainbow and, you, you know, you're a Hall of Famer now, not compared to golf, but kind of like that, you know, where you, you ran your course, you did your job, you, 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 you set a precedence by which a lot of people followed, and, and now you finally have accolades for it. I, I, yeah, it's a, it's a great feeling. Good deal. So, so are you, I know, you know, there was a time where you were making a, a lot of calls, you know, just for, you know, the, the, the things that people would be buying in the store, you're, you're kind of behind the scenes. there making a lot of that stuff. Are you still involved on that side of things? Yes, I am. I sure am. Yeah. Who, who are you making calls for right now? We build uh, Phelps and meat eater stuff. Um, we build a lot of stuff for the grind and uh, we also build a lot of stuff for uh, bone collector. I think that's kind of the, uh, you know, I guess the secret's out, but I mean, I, th I think that's kind of an interesting thing, you know, because there's a couple, there's a handful of guys that make a, a bunch of calls for a bunch of different companies, mm -hmm. and they're all very accomplished, you know, callers, and, and they they know, they've been doing it for decades, they yeah. really know their stuff, so, you know, it's interesting when you get a call like that, you're typically getting a call that, you know, a, a championship call, call maker. So the problem isn't the call, it's, it, the, it's the, me. That's right, the problem is <laughs> the call it's the caller made by someone who knows what they're doing that's right user error yeah so i mean how many calls in, in a year do you think you're pumping out still oh over a hundred thousand 125 thousand yeah it's not a, a little Jeez. it's a lot you know so it, it's pretty uh, cool i always found that fascinating personally and you know and i think of guys like tad brown and you know and and uh john williams guys that we know you know f throughout the team here and they they made a lot of calls in their lives too but there's there's a handful that make them on the mass scale here for the whole industry back in the day if 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 i've heard correctly a lot of the latex that the guys were using for their calls was coming from prophylactics yeah yeah it's <laughs> kind of a fun like going and buying a bulk of, <laughs> of condoms <laughs> like what the hell is this guy up to no tad used to be tad used to make all the mad calls calls back huh? in the day and Mark's basement in Columbia. <laughs> like Mark, he lived there in Mark and Tracy's house for the longest time. We've talked about that on, on air before, but pretty funny. So yeah. humble beginnings. Yeah. Yeah. You know, Chris, when, when I think about championship turkey callers, and I think about guys who are just really good at calling. I assume that they're also great turkey hunters. Have you ever encountered, and we don't need names, but is it possible for, <laughs> for someone to be a great caller, but maybe not so great of a turkey hunter? Well, I think, yeah, it's definitely possible. I mean, there's, there's no question. I think it uh, depends on how you started. Some guys start their calling career as callers. So, you know, they, they've turkey hunted a little bit, but they got interested in calling. And I know a few of those guys and they became pretty good callers before they came. Now, they became really good hunters because 
they could make the calls, but they needed time and experience in the woods. And I kind of grew up opposite. I started turkey hunting when I was a little bitty type with my dad. I actually started in the fall of 79. That gives you an indication of how long I've been turkey hunting. Tim. And, um, like and uh, <laughs> so, um, you know, I, be, I turkey hunted until 1983, and then I became really interested in calling. Mm-hmm. And the reason why I became interested in calling, I thought, you know, I'm, I'm getting good at killing turkeys, but I don't know how to communicate with them. So I want to really communicate on a higher level. So that's what got me really interested in calling and started building my own calls and started trying to figure things out. And I think then you start what I call becoming really dangerous as a turkey hunter, because there's not a lot of things you can't figure out. And there's not a lot of things that the turkey does that you don't really have a, a handle on, you know, mm-hmm. and then you're calling as it becomes better. I think you understand what you're saying to the turkey a lot of times, you know, it's no different than knowing when to grunt to a deer, right? You know, you can read his body language, you know, what's, what's right and what's not right. You can tell that with a gobble, you can tell that how a turkey's reacting and you put those combinations together and it makes a pretty deadly, uh, pretty deadly scene. When, when you have a turkey coming in, I'm curious, like, as you're visually reading him, what do, you know, the different colors of his head typically mean to you? Do you, do you, do you, or do you even look at that to see what his attitude is? Oh, sure. Absolutely. You can tell by the way he's strutting, you know, and, and you can, a lot of times you can tell a a younger bird, like a two-year-old turkey from an older turkey, because a lot of times a two-year-old turkey, he'll get in a trance strutting. You know, and an older bird will be strut, walk, look, strut, walk, look. He's looking for what's making the sound. Hmm. Head colors, absolutely. You know, you get a turkey that's got a head that's red. That's usually a aggravated type type look. You know, there's you, you'll see them a lot of times coming into a, a fan or a strutting gobbler decoy, and those head that head's changing colors as it's coming in, and and you know you can see that there's some aggression there. Um, or you get a relaxed turkey that's just strutting for a hen decoy or strutting for a hen, and he'll just be all blued up his head will be kind of that pale blue and he's just totally relaxed and you can tell that you can tell what what you're saying to that turkey and i think a lot of that has to do with just uh where they're at in the breeding cycle as well you know when they're really peak breeding and they're strutting hard for hens they they've got that kind of more bluish type head to them but you know you start decoying a turkey and you're dealing with a gobbler decoy or fanning you'll see that anger come out in them. So yeah, there's a lot of things turkeys do body language. You know, one of the things I cued in on years ago was when a turkey was getting ready to leave, you know, generally that that head will come up and they'll kind of turn and they'll pop those wings. They'll snap those wings back, you know, and that that's usually a good indication of I've kind of had enough. The gig is up. I'm getting ready to leave. So, and that comes with experience guys. People aren't going to learn that without spending time in the woods. So, you know, decoy strategies, what you know is it is it time of year dependent you know i the other day dad dad and i were talking and he said something like the turkeys really gobbled well the other morning he was at the farm the turkeys were gobbling really well and he said they'll be gobbled out by the time season gets here and it, it made me think like he talks about that kind of stuff and guys like you you know you guys know kind of the cycle of of what the breeding season and what they're gonna how they're gonna play you know before the turkey season even gets there it seems like so what phase you know we talk about phases in in deer hunting are there certain phases during the turkey season that you look at and say this decoy is going to work for this setup this time of year or even weather dependent maybe a cold rainy day versus a a high pressure bluebird day i mean what's your strategy as you go into it well i think early season and i'll I'll just i'll go like early mid and late season and kind of keep it simple here but and this is my thought process and the years of experience i have Early season, 
you know, typically you still have that vibe for dominance. Okay, so, you know, they're split up. Obviously, it all depends on how spring hits. You could have an early spring or late spring, and we all know weather has a lot to do with how, you know, that goes. I mean, we continue to get snows in March and early April. <laughs> We're going to have kind of a later spring or at least a spring that kind of hits maybe online. Um, but I I tend to use a, a, a gobble. If I'm using decoys, and I don't use them a lot, but in open field situations, situations where I think the turkeys can see them and I'm not going to be like, having a turkey pop over the hill and all of a sudden he's looking at a decoy kind of a spooky situation i like having a, a gobbler decoy or a jake decoy with a hen and play off of that dominance factor they're still kind of buying for that dominance they're still trying to be the bad boys on the block mm -hmm. this kind of works on that psyche if you will we get into that peak breeding mode i really would rather use a strictly a hen decoy and sometimes i'll pair it with a jake decoy and this all depends on whether i've had a good jake hatch if i've got a lot of jakes on a farm i'm hunting i do not like to use the jake decoy because a lot of times you know those jakes they like to gang up and they want to be little playground studs and they'll run a gobbler off so i'll use that you know i'll weigh that option and then i'll use it if i think it's a, a valid choice if it's not then i'll go back to just a, a hen or a couple of hens you know maybe a feeding hen and a and a standing hen. That's what I was going to ask you, if it mattered, you know, breeder, a breeder, a feeding, or, or what type of hen during that middle section there? Yeah, I always try to, I always try to go more into the relaxed mode, because a lot of times in that mid, what I call the peak breeding time, you're dealing with a lot of turkeys that are, um, I mean, they're, they're, they're generally with hens, right? So if you've got a lot of turkeys that are with hens, um, I really don't want to, I want to keep the situation relaxed, if you will, okay? Um, now, I get into the later part of the season. Uh, most of the hens are bred. They're on the nest now. Um, things are uh, things are starting to slack up a little bit, but the gobblers, you know, kind of like, this, the you know, as we trickle down in the rut, the gobblers are still looking, and they're going to have that period where things are, you know, they're going to be a little more vulnerable. At that point, I may go back to, uh, depending on whether I'm dealing with uh, – what I think is subdominant birds or dominant type birds, I may go back to a, a gobbler type decoy or a Jake type decoy, but then I will I will go in that phase and use like a a feeding hen and maybe a breeding looking hen where I'm playing on his will of wanting that those last few hens before you know things run their course. And we all know weather has a lot to do with that. We've seen the trickle of bad weather, hens losing their nests all of a sudden you get into June for crying out loud and season's over and turkeys are gobbling and strutting with hens because they're trying to rebreed. So, mm -hmm. you know, it all depends on the cycle and that cycle is, it's a guess most of the time because we don't know how the, how the season's going to wind up. If, okay. So you said you, you usually typically don't use a lot of decoys when hunting. I, this strategy kind of fascin fascinates me to, to a certain degree because it's like, I think a lot of, a lot of hunters nowadays have, have relied a little more heavily on decoys and they're so realistic that th they are really yeah. effective. So say you're a guy that's going out there, you're relying solely on your woodsmanship, your ability to call a turkey. Are there certain you know, sounds that you're wanting to go out to, are you getting aggressive or like, how are you going about it? Obviously you probably roosting the night before trying to understand where they're at and uh, maybe getting up underneath them or getting close to them and, and trying to have success right out of the gate in the morning. What's your, what's your strategy there when you go without decoys? Well, generally I will roost one or I will have done a good job of scouting and have a real good general idea of, of 
the basic locations of where the turkeys are roosting at. And if you do a really good job of scouting, say for example, you roost one the night before, and I used to get, I don't have the time to do it like I used to, but I used to get really nutcase about roosting, like literally try to figure out the exact tree the turkey was in. And especially when they're hinned up, I love to set up on a turkey 60, 70 yards away and just be in his wheelhouse. And a lot of times it's just a couple of clucks they fly down in your face 25 yards. Obviously not filming, filming is a whole different game. You know that, that filming can actually create a really good scenario for a turkey to get out of there without getting shot off. By the <laughs> yep, I you know how that works. <laughs> but I like to get really tight on them. I like to, I like to listen to him in the morning drumming on the limb. I like to hear all the sounds of the morning. And then, you know, when his feet hits the ground, give him a couple of seconds to look around and take his last breath. But there's a lot of different scenarios there. And, and I'll back up and say this. When it comes to decoys in an open field situation, now have I killed a lot of turkeys in open fields without decoys? Yeah, because I just didn't have them with me. You know, obviously we all have. But generally, if I'm hunting timber, and it's not open timber, it's fairly thick timber, and I don't have log roads, I don't have situations where I think the turkey can see that decoy at a distance, I tend to shy away from decoys. I hunt Kansas a lot. You know how Kansas is, it's fairly open country. Even even in, in uh, eastern Kansas, there's still a lot of open country. I've always got a decoy or two in the bag at that point because you always get caught where you're dealing with an open field turkey. One thing I always carry with me is a fan. I always carry a real fan. I, I, I build them every year and split them to where I can fold them up and put them in my vest where I can pop them out because mm -hmm. a lot of situations, you know, I've worked turkeys and worked turkeys and worked turkeys and nothing works. And you've got him right on that hinge, but he's not coming and to flip that fan out at him. And in 10 seconds, he's laying on the ground flopping. So always carry those bag of tricks with you. But I love to hunt hardwoods. I love hearing a turkey gobble in the woods. I love walk, watching him strut through the, you know, the hardwoods coming to me. And if I had my preference, I'd rather hunt a turkey in the hardwoods than I would in the field, but we don't always have that choice. So that's why, and in like, for example, that place there in, in Mexico that we hunted had a lot of, had a lot of timber on it. And you could always get on a turkey in the woods. And I always love what, you know, watch them strut down those ridges and stuff. And I just didn't use decoys there because mainly I felt if I stuck a decoy out in those woods, there's a lot of undulations. A lot of times the turkeys don't see them. And then when they do, they're almost in gun range and they're just, the, the decoy's in their face immediately, right? Yeah. And I think it, the scenario I always, and I've watched turkeys do this, well, they'll come in and look at it and all of a sudden they kind of get that like, where'd that come from? You know, mm -hmm. and there's a little bit of that hesitation sometimes. And I've seen turkeys spook off of it, especially if it was a strutting gobbler decoy. You know, hmm. how many times have you had a strutting gobbler decoy out in the field with a hen and the turkey, he'll take 15 minutes to figure out and make his mind up whether he wants to come in there and attack that turkey or not. You yeah. know? And, mm -hmm. and if that's in his face and all of a sudden say he's 60 yards in the woods and the decoy is 25 yards from you and he comes up over that hill and all of a sudden that strutting gobbler decoy is in his face. You know, that can turn the switch off just as easy as it can turn it on. Yeah. Chris, you talked about popping uh, the fan open, like when you're sitting there in the timber. How, like, what are you actually doing? I assume you're sitting up against a tree. You pull, like, mm -hmm. are you just kind of sitting there with it in your lap and are you, are you turning it? Like, what are you doing to make that effective? I always have it set, I always take it out and set it by me. You know, make sure it's right there by me and I'll unfold it. Mm -hmm. Just set it on the ground and unfold it. It's obviously sitting on the ground. Turkey's not going to notice it. And I'll just, you know, 
just wait till he's got his back turned, wait till he's in a position where you can move or, or the turkeys are in a position where you can move a little bit. It doesn't take much. You just grab it. And I just, I'll just grab it in my hand, you know, and then I'll just, I'll just flip it up and then, you know, give him a little bit of motion. His focus is going to be on the fan. Mm-hmm. You know, how many times have we watched people, you know, throw the fan up in front of them and basically walk to a turkey in an open field? Yeah. When you're sitting there and you flip that fan up and you give it a little bit of movement, all of a sudden his focus gets all that. He's not looking at you. You know, we, we give them credit for being super intelligent. They're sharp, they're sharp birds. They're sharp yeah. birds because they're scared of every daggum thing that moves. It's not that they're, you know, the brain's as big as your little finger here. It's not like they're smart, smart. But, you know, don't be afraid to do things because it can make a difference between being successful and not successful. And I've learned that if you just, you know, watch it, do it at the right time, Man, it can it can change things on a dime. I, I'm I'm pretty aggressive hunter, very aggressive hunter actually. But yeah. that has to do with my time. You know, yeah. people don't have time to hunt. You you've got to be aggressive if you want to make things happen. Yeah, I th- I think you know Matt said the same thing. I know Mark's super aggressive. I, yeah. t- Terry's probably the one hunter that I've experienced hunting with that's that's a little less like he, he you know he's more of a hey sit and wait. We know like you said about scouting, he knows where they're they're heading to. Sure. He doesn't do a lot of roosting anymore. You know he's owned his farm there in North Missouri for close to twenty years, and he kind of knows where they roost. He knows where they go, and and anymore it's a matter of you know sitting having patience and, and kind of waiting for them eventually. to you know ambush them there as they're walking through so yeah. he, he definitely i mean i think you know i think a guy like these these competitive turkey callers that, that went through all the competitions they're all you know they're very successful they seem to have that aggressive edge to them mm-hmm. and i don't think that's a mis- or that's a by accident does that sure. make sense? Yeah, yeah. It's part of the personality profile. I mean, heck, if I could call like that, I would be like, <laughs> try, you know, moving That's and right. just trying to find any bird I could get within audio range. Yeah. Me. You mentioned you love sitting in the hardwoods and, and, you know, a lot of times there's not a decoy situation in there and you love, you know, watching them strut up through the, 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 the hardwoods. There's not much better than a mm-hmm. gobble in the hardwoods when Dude. they're close. Like it, it's <laughs> it amazing how loud it can yeah. be and, and how earth shaking it feels when you're within that range or or the other one i love is like they're behind you something they start spitting and drumming and you're like holy shit he's close i know he's close he's here right here like somewhere the t-rex is coming it's, you see the, the cup of coffee that's right it's it's uh there's i don't know there's just not Magic. many feelings quite like turkey hunting so guys that don't do it off there or haven't been hunting they don't understand the allure i i, I don't think but man if, if you've experienced those types of hunts it's uh, pretty addicting it's one of those where like the optics of the turkey hunt don't really do it justice. Yeah. Like if, if I were just to watch a turkey hunt on TV, I'd be like, oh, that looks like fun. But when you do it and you experience them up close and personal, it's life changing. Especially if they're working. <laughs> you know what I mean? If they're, yeah. if they're not gobbling, like it's pretty dang tough. Like there too, you got to rely back on your scouting and kind of knowing where they're heading. But yeah. when they're when they're hush mouth, it, it makes it a lot not fun. I remember mm-hmm. one time, man, this is probably two years ago, I took my son Cameron to dad's and we were, we were, this was later in the season, so the birds weren't working that great. But it was a nice pretty day and we didn't have luck off the roost. So we, we started running and gunning, you know, just kind of trying to locate. 
bait and call and hit kind of the edges, the fence edges and all sure. that stuff. And we, we went and we went and we went around the whole property. And then towards the end, uh, it's dad, you know, he'd get out of the, of the buggy and he'd go to the fence line. He'd, he'd make a call, try to locate one and nothing. And every time we, he did that, I was telling Cameron, he was probably five at this time. I said, no, you gotta be quiet. It's we're listening for a gobble. And dad called one more time and Cameron had this really loud audible sigh, like, <laughs> and dad, dad turned around laughing. He's like, I agree. Let's go get breakfast. <laughs> so can't disagree with that. That's, that's right. So Chris, April, yeah. April 9th and 10th is the youth season here in Missouri. Do you have any special tips for Because that's, it's, it's, you know, it's a, two weeks before I think the season starts. So, or maybe a week before season starts. Is there anything that's unique about hunting that youth season that maybe you could help our listeners and viewers with that would help them get a little more success? Well, I love, you know, my son now is 18, so he's past that point, but you know, he killed his first Turkey when he was, I think eight or nine, I can't remember which, but any rate he, you know, the youth season, I really like. Uh, I think it's, it's timed about right. You know, the, I think the turkeys are, you know, you're still going to have, you know, they're going to be hinned up a little bit sometimes, but they're, they're very responsive. They're gobbling good. You know, if you catch good weather, things are really good. Great time to, to put a blind up and throw a decoy out in the little edge of an opening because they're going to be really vulnerable to that. Mm -hmm. You know, um, you don't really have to be overly aggressive. Um, I think the key in any of that, obviously, if you want a youth to be successful is to get out and scout figure out where the turkeys are roosting at, kind of what their daily routine is. Because at that time of year, it's kind of like, it's kind of like early season deer hunting. You know, they're kind of doing a little bit of the same things. They really haven't fully split up and really established their little, their little pockets of, of where they're at on the farm, depending on the population, how big the farm is. So you can be really successful if you just spend some time scouting, you know, have you a blind, have you a couple decoys. And, and the one tip I would give, especially, super young youth hunters you know you get a, a hunter that's 14 15 16 years old they're a little bit different story they've got a little bit more patience but you get a seven eight nine year old child you know don't burn them out get out there if things aren't doing good go back for breakfast uh, go walk around have fun go go try to find a mushroom or two have some rods and reels with you go find a little pond or something do a little fishing because hey youth season in missouri you get to hunt all day I don't know how many times I've been sitting out there after one o'clock during the regular season when you can't hunt anymore and crappie fishing and turkey start gobbling. And you're like, geez, I wish we could go out right now. <laughs> so you know, have something to do, have something that's fun to, and keep them interested, keep them out there, but don't burn them out on the hunt because then it becomes, you know, unattractive to them and you don't want that to happen. You want them to, you want them to have fun with it because all it takes is one good hunt and they're hooked. Mm-hmm. When you go to locate the, you know, the, the, the night before a hunt, <clears throat> what, what is the most, like, I, I wonder your take on this. Cause I hear Mark and Terry talk about it a lot. Like guys, I think make the mistake of doing a lot of calling before the season starts, mm -hmm. you know, they're just, that they, they're anxious or whatever. Maybe they want to hear a turkey gobble. They want to see what's on the farm and they're calling a lot to their turkeys ahead of the season, which I, you know, I, I don't know if that creates a, a burnout, so to speak, from the turkey's like perspective or, I, you know, I don't know what that does to the turkey, but I know Mark and Terry always kind of frowned upon that. So what are you doing to go and, and try to locate the birds? Is it is it just a coyote howler? Is it a crow call or are you actually calling or what's your strategy there? 
I, I'm I'm on I'm in the same camp that that Mark and Terry are. I don't like to call to them much. I just you know I figure I'm going to be calling to them enough when it's when it's time to call to them and time to kill one. So I kind of shy away from that. I do use uh, owl hooters. I use crow calls. I use uh, a coyote howler, especially when I think they're on on the roost. And I know I don't like the coyote howl like if I'm going to be within 100 yards of a turkey on the roost. I think a lot of, even though he's on the roost, it's not a big deal, but a lot of times you'll get him to gobble once and then he won't gobble at it again. So, but like if I'm just driving out there and it's getting close to dark and I know the turkeys are roosted, I'll just get up on a high spot and coyote howl, try to get one to gobble and, you know, maybe two or three will gobble and I'll get a location on them. Hmm. But if I'm down in there and I, I do a lot of, um, when I have time, kind of, like I said, taking it to the next stage. I'll have done my preseason scouting and kind of locate those turkeys, like especially early in the morning, like slip in there early in the morning before work or on a weekend, say a Saturday morning, Mm -hmm. drive out, slip out there. You listen to a turkey gobble here, there, or Sunday morning. Season opens generally on a Monday in Missouri for the regular season. Um, I'll have three or four birds located. No no one kind of, you know, all right, this bird's been roosting within 100 yards of this place. This bird's been – then I'll go in – and I'll go in there and sit down pretty close to that roosting location, not call or anything. I'll just sit there, have my binoculars on me, have a couple of locator calls. And a lot of times you'll see the turkey come in and fly up. You don't have to do anything. Mm-hmm. And now you've, you've got him pegged. You're, you're in the wheelhouse. And if you hunt public land, now you're the first one in there. You're setting up on the turkey in his, in his wheelhouse and you're probably going to have a much better chance than the guy that shows up late. So mm-hmm. there's a lot of different ways of doing things. Um, I don't knock the guy that wants to call to the turkeys, you know, and locate them a little bit, but it's not something I want to do because my time is limited, especially now on how much turkey hunting I can do. I want to keep them as fresh as I can keep them. And I don't want them to know what's going on until I decide that it's time for one of them to <laughs> pay the sacrifice. Sure. So, uh, so speaking of time, if, if someone maybe can't get out the day or two before season starts to roost a bird, what is kind of the maximum amount of time away from season that you will try to roost a bird? Like, will, will they hop trees? And, and, you know, I guess speaking mostly about Easterns, but how, how much movement could there be in their roosting trees just before season starts? Oh, there could be a lot depending on how the spring is. I mean, you know, if, if breeding starts a little bit early, let's say you've got hens that are already starting to go and lay, you know, and drop eggs. Well, where they're doing that is not necessarily where they started out their breeding ritual at. Mm-hmm. So the turkeys can move on the farm. You know, they could be roosting. Let's say there's a creek that runs through there and they're roosting on the south side uh, just below this ridge for three weeks in a row. Well, on the fourth week, all of a sudden the hens are starting to nest. The gobbler has to to, to look for more hens, he may be moving his territory. It's no different than a buck looking for, you know, for, for does. I mean, they start, they start moving around on that farm a little bit, so they can change a little bit. So you always want to try to, you know, if you don't have time to scout, you don't have time to roost. My general rule of thumb is, is get into a spot where you can hear as much of that farm as you can possibly hear. So the highest spot that you can get on, whatever that case may be, but you want to try to hear as much of that farm as you can hear. And, and as the season progresses, obviously you've got more foliage. So you're not going to hear as far, you know, what, what you could hear, uh, what you can hear right now and what you're going to hear on April the 25th is probably going to be cut in half. Hmm. 
So if I'm hearing a turkey at 400 yards today, I'm probably only going to hear him 100, 125 yards to 200 yards, you know, at the end of April, the 1st of May. Is that because, because of the green the, Because of the foliage and the terrain features. You know, I've had uh, just a quick story. I was hunting in Indiana several years ago with David Dehart from Night and Hail. I mean, it's been years ago, back when I was a young man. And uh, we were standing out on this little low log road and a turkey was just absolutely ripping it up on this ridge. Well, this ridge had kind of a pretty sharp, pretty sharp face feature to it. Mm -hmm. And as we got closer to that face feature to try to work around that ridge, you couldn't hear the turkey gobble anymore. And I wanted to stop and relocate the turkey and kind of get an idea exactly the direction we needed to go to get set up on the turkey so that we didn't bump him. <clears throat> and when I tried to locate him again, I was like, well, shut up. And then we'd go back out to the log road and we did this twice and we could hear him gobbling. And I'm like, David, we get underneath that face, the sound shut off and it's going over our head and we can't hear it. I Jeez. said, we just need to push on up. We got right up to the edge of it. Heard him gobble, went 20 yards, set up. Two calls later, the turkey was dead in five minutes. So a lot of times, you know, you can't, you can't hear as well. And then therefore, and that's another tip, you get later in the season and the foliage is thick. You know, if you hear a turkey and he sounds like he's 200 yards away, he's probably 100 yards away. You might want to be thinking about where your setup's going to be mm. because you might walk another 10 yards and all of a sudden you walk in the middle of, of something you get spotted and things go south yeah. on you so you know and that's a learned process you know you can't necessarily figure that out until you actually screw something up a few times and then you figure it out and you quit doing it yeah that's that's the thing that always interested me hunting with mark and terry because they got that you know like you like the guys that have done it for so long and are so good at it they know they have that instinct to know we got to get we got to sit down and we've gone you know we've gone far enough we got to sit down he's coming and it's always funny to see how often they end up coming the rest of the way into your setup, you, you know, especially when you're, you know, in that, you know, the mid morning, you're running a gun in or, or whatever. It, it's not, you're not on the roost. You're, you're trying to kind of play a cat and mouse game sure. with them. And that's, I think that's what drew me into turkey hunting so much because that's the fun part of it. Unlike a, a deer hunt where you're kind of, you're kind of stuck to your spot, you know, unless you're mm -hmm. spotting and stalking out West or something, you're, you're, you're going to a stand or a blind and you're, you're sitting this it's so interesting interactive and i think for those that may have not tried it before that's what hooks you in like th there is that cat and mouse of i heard him gobble i gotta get close you know you, you stop calling you, you can't get too co close then you want to call again and man if he hammers right there it's a it's a mad scramble and everyone's like get, get down get down get, you know and that that's what draws you into turkey hunting i think Big time yeah yeah, yeah definitely it, i call it a chess game you know it's a chess mm -hmm. game and sometimes you get the checkmate and sometimes they get the checkmate. But if, you know, and you were talking about your dad talking about being patient. Um, I think that's one thing that, especially a lot of younger hunters that get fairly good at calling really quick, don't realize is there's a time to be patient. There's a time when, you know, I mean, there's a lot of days I've been out and everybody has that, you don't the turkeys they may gobble three or four times on the roost and, you know, you're not in their wheelhouse. They fly down, shut up immediately, or they are, and they fly down, they fly away from you, they fly down, they get with hens, they shut up, everything's done. And you're like, well, I'm not in the game anymore. Well, you're always in the game. You know, and I think a lot of times we get up and we go looking for that special turkey 
And, and if you don't have a lot of time to hunt, I get that. But you go looking for that special turkey that's going to gobble and come running in there and committing suicide. Well, you know what? That's not that's not the case. Mm-hmm. That's not the case with every turkey. It's not going to happen. Um, you can, there's a time to sit down and be patient and let, you know, you, your dad talking about knowing knowing what the turkeys do. Well, they do have kind of a, a little bit of a established routine around the farm. You know, today they roost over here, they fly down, they go over here, and they make, uh, Harold Knight used to say it well, they make their little milk run every day. <laughs> and if you'll just wait on to make that milk run, pretty soon they'll stop at your house. <laughs> and sometimes you just need to be patient and let them drop it off. Yeah. So <clears throat> there's a time for, there's a time for all of it. And it's the same thing, you know, Matt, you guys, and obviously everybody knows <clears throat> Mark and Terry and the crew and their deer hunting uh, skills and everything. There's a time when they get very aggressive. They go right into the bedroom and, and they know they've got uh, maybe a, a one day or two day time period of a kill window that things are right. And they would never do that any other time. They would stay completely away from it and steer completely clear of any situation, you know? Yep. And I think that, that that's the thing, same thing you have to do with turkeys. There's a time to be aggressive and get after them. And that comes with experience and knowing that you can get by with it. And there's a time to sit down and relax and be patient with it and let them do their thing. And at the end of the day, I don't always look at it about killing the animal. Obviously we want to be successful, but there's also times when setting and being patient is a very big learning experience. Mm -hmm. You get to see things and witness things that you wouldn't have if you would have moved on. And then you put that in your hair covered computer. And the next time you run into that same situation, you've got another bag of tricks to pull out of. Chris, in your opinion, what is, what's the level of spooked that you can commit on a gobbler before, you know, like I, he's done for the day. I can't, I can't hunt him again. Done for the year. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Asking for a friend. You know, I think that's a personality trait with every turkey. Uh, I've seen turkeys get shot at and missed and run off, and 30 minutes later they're gobbling, and you walk in there and change positions and you kill them, or you've spooked them and you change positions and you kill them. And then I've seen them run off, and, you know, sometimes you don't hear them gobble for a couple of days. And I think Mm -hmm. that's a personality. I mean, I think it's just like personalities in deer. You know, some deer are fighters. Some, some deer don't want to fight. Some of the biggest deer in the country, they don't want nothing to do with being aggressive with a, with another deer. And then you get a bully, five-and-a-half-year-old, 140-inch eight-pointer, and he wants to whoop everything on the planet. He's got little man syndrome. You know, so uh, turkeys have personalities just like every other animal or just like people. Um, I'll give you a, a prime example. Uh, we, Keith Wallig and I, and you all know Keith Wallig. Yep. And uh, Keith and I were turkey hunting a couple years ago. Well, I'll say it was four years, near four years ago, because it was we had celebrated my 50th birthday at my house. And so the day after the celebration, he wants to get up and go turkey hunting. Uh-oh. So you can imagine, no, it was a, it was kind of a, yeah, it was a little bit of a, little bit of a tough time. But we went up and went turkey hunting, and we got on three gobblers. I kind of had a pretty good idea because I I'd, I'd already killed my first turkey, and I had a pretty good idea where this. I thought it was a. a, a a group of three-year-olds is what I thought. There was three gobblers together. I'd seen them multiple times, and they'd been roosting in this particular area of a bend of a creek. Sometimes one side, the one side, sometimes the other side. We went in and we set up on the turkeys, and uh, literally were probably within minutes of them popping up over the hill and, and us doubling. 
And uh, I thought that would be that would be really cool because I'd never hunted with Keith as far as like had a gun with me. Now I've been I filmed Keith, but I'd never really hunted with him as far as him and I hunting and having an opportunity to possibly double or kill a turkey with each other mm-hmm. like that scenario. And about that time, I heard some calling coming from behind me, and I knew immediately it was not a turkey. The rhythm was horrible, and the sound <laughs> was a little off. So we had trespassers. <clears throat> so I told Keith, I said, stay put. I can get out of here without being seen. I'm going to go run them off or go catch them. One of them comes up here killing. Don't worry about me. The There's trespasser or the turkey? <laughs> The turkey. Okay. The turkey. So, <laughs> Let's clarify that. <laughs> yeah, I, I'll clear that Take up. Take his kneecaps out. I don't like trespassers, trust me, but I'm not going to shoot one of them. <laughs> Keith killed a guy. So, and I, I go and I get, to the, I get to the trespassers and they take off running. Where do you think they run? Yeah. Right towards the damn turkey. Yeah. And they go down over the hill. And I, of course, we didn't see the turkey spook. And I'm yelling and screaming and, you know, swearing and threatening. And, you know, anyway, one of the guys dropped his hat. So I, I still have his hat to this day, um, which I think is kind of funny. But nevertheless, um, Mark Drury's written on the inside of it. <laughs> no, no, one Mark Drury. One Mark Drury. Uh, Mad calls uh, on Terry, let's get out of here. <laughs> he's actually a local business owner in, oh, geez. in Mexico. Whoops. So, and I know who the guy is, and he knows I know. So, anyway, <laughs> long story short, Keith's, you know, I get down there to Keith, and you know how Keith is. He goes, Man, son of a buck, man, them damn turkeys. I'm like, Hey, you know what? Let's just go to the north end of the farm. And I said, Let's hunt for a few hours. I said, There's birds on the north end. Let this quiet down, and then we'll make a circle and we'll see what happens. I said, These three turkeys were alone, they didn't have hens with them. I said, they may be all split up now. They may all be back together. I don't know. Long story short, we went up there and sat for an hour. Nothing went on. I told Keith, I said, let's go. Let's make a loop. I know how to get, I know how to get around there and get to where I think they may have went to. We got around there. We started slipping in. I said, we get to this little roadway. I said, I'm going to call. I said, they should be in that bottom over there unless they flew across the river. And I made a call. Every, they all gobbled together about 150 yards away. We sat down, and 10 minutes later, Keith killed one of them, and I missed one of them. Mm. Nevertheless, this goes to show you, those turkeys were spooked bad. They got ran off by people. Yeah. But did they get run off by people, or did they get run off by a coyote? Did they get run off by a bobcat? Did you did you spook a group of deer through them? Sure. You know, they don't really know. So I think what happens is, uh, I went a long way about saying this, but Keep in mind, they get spooked every day of their life. Mm. And unless you shoot at one of them and he flies over on the neighbors, you still have a chance. Mm. You know, you still have a chance. Yeah, that's hopeful. Well, I, I, we got a question of the day today that kind of along these lines. Before before we got to depart with, because I know you're a busy guy, I'd love to get your thoughts on this. So I'm gonna real quick. We're gonna we're gonna roll through this question of the day. We're kind of jumping around in order here. But the question of the day is probably brought to you by Sportsman Channel, your home for Winchester and Drury's natural born and everything red, wild, and blue. Hi, my <laughs> name is Tony, and I'm from Searcy, Arkansas. Hi, Tony. My question is this. Can a Tom identify each hen by her calls? And can he pick up on a hunter's call when he uses a mouth call 
maybe hunting that bird for a while and the hunter shoot and miss could he recognize that call again by that same hunter thank you you've got to understand in the south things take time they do Mm -hmm. (laughs) it's worth the wait so so what do you think here i mean tony has a good question you know and i think probably many of us can relate to missing a bird and wondering if (laughs) you know who i am yeah just hey that was matt again (laughs) well you know here comes the here comes a (laughs) this is gonna be a two-part answer i think that there's definitely a recognizable vocal in a hierarchy of turkeys um, if you've been around turkeys a lot, you, you'll, you'll, especially in a roost situation, let's say really like right now, you go into a roost situation and slide in there in the dark and you sit down and you've got a mixed flock. You've got two or three gobblers, you've got some jakes and you've got some hens. And you'll hear those hens up there and they're, 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 there's all kinds of different sounds. And all of a sudden you'll hear this old hen show, he'll answer her. Well, he knows who. Joey Joanne is. He understands who that is. He knows exactly because he's he, that that hen has probably been around there for several years. Now, there's also a bunch of Jenny hens that he don't know anything about. He's only been around them for a short period of times because they were born in the in the spring of the year. There's Jake's that he doesn't know much about. There may be a subordinate bird or two that comes in that he doesn't know much about because they just moved into the area. So he doesn't know every turkey, but he knows certain ones, especially if that hen's been around three or four years or or there's been several hens around three or four years. But now a gobbler picking up on my sound um, and me missing him and me being afraid to use that same call again on that turkey, absolutely not. Their memory, as far as that, I think is extremely, extremely short. Hmm. And again, I, I just mentioned spooking turkeys. Uh, we'd called to those turkeys. You know, we called to them turkeys. Those turkeys were coming, coming to our calls. Mm-hmm. Guys went in and spooked them. We looped around and set up in a different spot an hour later and used the same exact calls and called those turkeys in. Wouldn't have been no different if we shot at them. So I think that do turkeys know some of the hens or other turkeys in their area? Absolutely. They grow, grew up with them. They spend time around them every year. But now, do they have a memory of what you sounded like and they're going to shy away from your call if you shoot and miss or you spook him? Maybe for a few hours, but no, I, I think that you can go right back in there with the same pot call or the same mouth call or anything else and call that turkey right back in. It all depends on his demeanor at the time. Now, do you think that, but the age of the turkey, uh, uh, you know, a mature top four or five year old Tom, you know, versus a two year old, mm. do you think there's a difference in their um, their willingness to play ball again? You know, so soon. Um, yeah, I do, I, and I and I, I do I do think that that they are a little more what I would call woods wise. You know, they're a little bit sharper about how things, you know, they've lived four or five years. They've played this scenario. That's why sometimes it's so hard to to get a gobbler to come to your call. That's a, a big old long spurred turkey, uh, especially in a certain position that you're in. You know, you may not be set up exactly in his wheelhouse mm-hmm. and he's going to wait for that hen to come to him. He knows that's what's been going on since he was two years old. So he's played that game. But you're still going to catch him in that vulnerable state where, you know, 
the willingness to breed overpowers his good intelligence. And so, you know, again, I think we give like every uh, good man <laughs> and, and we give we give we give turkeys, especially this. This credit of being super, super smart when in reality, they're just shoot super, super shy and and spooky and reluctant mm-hmm. uh, because of the scenario that they deal with, you know, in life, everything from the time they're hatched to the time they die, everything's trying to catch them, eat them, kill them, chase them down. I mean, they're dealing with things constantly, you know, I mean, it's the difference between them and a grizzly bear is a whole lot. I mean, there's not (laughs) much trying to kill a grizzly bear other than a human being or another grizzly, you know? So it's a, it's a different deal, but I don't think we need to give them credit being super intelligent. I think we need to take it all in stride and just have that never give up attitude and just keep plugging away because at the end of the day, that's what's going to make you successful. It's just like, just like life. I think that's a good point to end it on because this guy, we just went to, we went to a college, like 300 level course here. I was taking notes. (laughs) Like if we can't kill one this year, there's nothing but our problem. (laughs) Yeah. We're we're, we're done. We're not soaking up the wisdom that we're getting. here. That's right. Yeah. I don't think you guys will have a bit of problem. (laughs) (laughs) I hope you're right. (laughs) Mark will take you. You'll be okay. That's that's right. The saving grace is always being able to maybe go a Mark or Terry. Mark. (laughs) Well, Chris, we know you're a busy guy. We got a few more pieces here. You want to stick around or you got a jet? No, sure. I, I got time. All right. Now, here's where we lost Matt Van Sice last time. Because I don't know if he was pleased. This is where our shenanigans happen. Yes. So, okay, so we've got the wildlife word. We do it every week. It's a multiple choice. Usually it centers around biology. And trying to fool me and make me look stupid. A little bit. <laughs> Continue. So that's my job description, I think. That's right. <laughs> okay. The wildlife word this week is brought to you by Hunter Specialties, exclusive makers of the DOD Signature Series of Turkey Calls. Woo-wee. Okay. Hen turkeys like big snoods, and they cannot A, lie, <laughs> B, fly, C, cry, or D, die. We always let the guest go first in this ridiculousness. So you're up, Chris. Cry. I'm going with cry as much as I'd like to go with lie. <laughs> lie is the best answer. Here. Yeah, yeah. And in research, it shows that longer snoods tend on gobblers tend to be more desirable on the part of hens. They like big snoods. And they cannot lie. That's right. So you're telling me A is the answer. That's right. That was a tricky way of getting there, Tim. I know. Yeah. yeah. You, you wordsmithed yeah. that I mean, one. It would stand it would stand true if you're thinking about the song, but let's face it. Oh, there's you know, a song? I'm thinking about turkey. Yeah, there's a song. You know, I like big butts and I cannot lie. Oh my goodness. <laughs> now we've gone over PG the PG thirteen again. Oh, geez, so let me ask Chris. you. So how old are you? 22, 23? I, I feel mean, about twenty three. Yeah. Well, he feels about thirteen, but he's actually forty something. Forty three ish. Well, you're you're only ten years behind. That, see, that would have been right in his wheelhouse, right? That song. Yeah. Yep. If Merle Haggard didn't sing it, I don't know what it is. <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> That's right. No, he didn't. <laughs> <laughs> I, 
I would love to hear that version. Uh, before we get out of here, we got to do our shout out. So the, we got a we got a thing called the Rack Pack over on Facebook, a private Facebook group that uh, the, the the listeners join in on. And every week, Tim lists a bunch of names of new people that join. And every week, he throws in somebody that that isn't a real name. So Thank you, fake. All right. So we got Taylor Frederick. We got Paul Sarita, Isaac Hansen, Jordan Dean, Lynn Belvedere. I'm going with Lynn Belvedere. That would be Mr. Belvedere, and you would be correct. <laughs> All right. I got one. <laughs> Although it really would make me happy if Mr. Belvedere was out there listening, listening to our show. Yeah, that would be great. He's got to be dead by now. Somebody's <laughs> got to look this up for us. We need to have somebody. A fact checker? A fact checker. <laughs> Someone to bring some like. Although, truth. if we had a fact checker. <laughs> Most of the show, the would, show be, would be interruptions. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and then uh, for our shout outs, we, we've got little Curtis Geyer. Little he, Curtis. He says, had a blast on the show, guys. Thanks again. We need to do more of these maybe next time at the Working Class Bowhunter Studio. Yeah, it was a fun podcast. We got a lot of good feedback on that one. And we can get our haircuts while we're there, too. That's right. Because the studio is an old uh, barber shop. Barber shop. That's right. I like hey, that. Chris, have you ever been on, on their podcast, the Working Class Bowhunter podcast? No, I have not. It's a good time. It's one worth doing if, if you ever have a chance. So, well, man, we appreciate you jumping on with us. You know, we started the top of the show, which is kind of going through all the, the accomplishments over the years. I can't think of many guys in the industry that have had a bigger impact, you know, literally from the inception of it to to where we are today. And, and still, I, I don't know that, that folks out there um, necessarily know or understand just how much of an impact that, that guys like you've made. So, I just want to say thanks on behalf of all the hunters out there for all the innovation all the the work and effort that uh, that you've put in over the years because uh it, it has made our industry and made hunting a better place well i appreciate that matt thank you very much yep I definitely i'm glad to be on and uh wish everybody a great successful uh, turkey season and a safe one at that all right yeah I would do the same thing. And also let people know that we are on a mission to hit 1,000 Rack Pack followers by the end of the month. Yeah, we just like started this thing late, late in 2021. So we're racking them up, pun intended. Ooh, wow, nice job. <laughs> so go to Facebook, join the Rack Pack, and share the show. Leave us a review. Drop us a question of the day. You could win a DeerCast hat. There's just so many ways of winning. It's unbelievable. Winning. Winning. All right. We better call our quits. Until, Until next time, peace out. See ya. Temperatures are going to be dropping. Perfect conditions for the skinny field. Got to focus on those afternoon hunts. Northwest Tree Stand, 5 p.m. It's the easiest decision you'll make this season. Get ahead of your game with DeerCast.